Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. So in a recent episode of the Rock and or Roll podcast, host BJ Cramp referred to our guest this week as some guy named Paul Engeman. Well, we are proud to bring you Paul Engeman and his story. You may not know who Paul is, but he's done a lot of really interesting things in his career. There's three major benchmarks as I see it on his resume. First of which is in the late 70s, early 80s, he started singing with Giorgio Moroder. Now we all know Giorgio is an absolute legend and Paul got picked to sort of collaborate with him. How this happened is a really interesting story. He tells it in here. They did some music together. It included former guest Joe Esposito. If you remember Joe, great guy. This led to Paul being selected to join a band called Device. So if you know who Holly Knight is, Holly Knight is literally a Hall of Fame songwriter. She's written songs like Simply the Best, The Warrior, Love is a Battlefield, tons of others. She's one of the most successful songwriters of all time. She decides she wants to front her own band in the mid 80s. And she picks Paul to be the lead singer of that band and it's called Device. They only ever put out one album in 1986 called 22B3 and it had one top 40 hit on it called Hanging on a Heart Attack that you're listening to right here. I think it reached number 35 in 1986. By the way, if you like 80s music and your ear is attuned to that sound, 22B3 is an incredible album. I mean, some people, you know, the 80s have their detractors and I get it, there's a synthesized sound that some people don't find very friendly. I love it. And that sound mixed with the genius of Holly Knight makes for an incredible album. So I urge you to look out for Device. It's kind of hard to find, but it's a great album. Every song on it is good. Well, Device comes to an end and Paul is very honest about why in here, honestly. From there, he joins Animotion. Now, regular listeners may remember that a few months ago we had Bill Wadhams on here, who was the lead singer of Animotion. He with Astrid Plane. One thing I wanted to talk to Bill about, and I didn't get around to it because frankly our conversation went really long as it was, it was over two hours, was that at one point near the end of Animotion, those two were kicked out and they were replaced by Paul and Cynthia Rhodes, who was an actress. She was in Dirty Dancing and Flash Dance, and she went on to marry Richard Marks. Well, they put out one album and it had one top 10 hit on it, hit on it in 1989 called Room to Move. But then that came to an end. And that really brought to an end, honestly, the end of Paul's singing career as well. At some point, he just, he got very practical about it and said, you know what, I gotta make a living, enough of this. And he's been a working man, regular working guy ever since. But his, his family history goes way back. It's really fascinating. His dad was instrumental in discovering the Beach Boys and Bob Seger and signing them to Capitol Records. His sister, he had a hit with his sister whose name is Sean Southwick. If that name sounds familiar, it's because she's married to Larry King. One thing I had no idea about when I tracked Paul down is that he's Mormon, still is Mormon. I had no idea. I went and found him because a few months ago I had Anna Motion on the brain and Holly Knight on the brain because she wrote Obsession. And I thought, let's see who, who these people that replaced Bill were. And I come across Paul and that's how I find all this stuff. Anyway, he, he, name drops some really juicy name drops in here and i love it so i think you will enjoy this conversation 
A lot of really fun bits of trivia in here. He's a really good guy. He called me from his home in Provo, Utah. So I have to tell you how and why, what made me sort of decide, get turned on to you recently. I've had animals okay. on, the, on the brain lately because we just uh, recently did a, an interview with Bill Wadhams of Animotion. Oh, and, um, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, in that conversation with him, uh, our, we ended up talking for a long time. And it was one of those where I didn't even end up asking him about the second chapter of Animotion that he wasn't involved in because we had already talked mm-hmm. so much. But after we got off, I started thinking, you know, Holly Knight wrote their biggest hits and I remember that she mm-hmm. was in this group, Device, and I thought, I'm uh-huh. look into Device again. I wonder, I really like that song, Hanging on a Heart Attack. I wonder what the story of Device is. And I've actually tried to get her oh. on here and never heard back. <laughs> and then I, look, oh, I see your name. And I uh-huh. think, wait a minute, that's the guy who sang Room to Move by the, uh-huh. the Animotion song. And then I started yeah. thinking a little bit, and I'm like, that's also the guy who sang Face to Face with Giorgio Moroder. And that's also the yeah. guy that's on the Summer School soundtrack and the Scarface <laughs> soundtrack and all this stuff that I've been listening to for years and years and years and loved and never connected the dots that you were the guy doing all of that stuff. <laughs> and so I find you on Facebook and you graciously agree to come on. And then I find out you live in Provo, where I went to BYU, and you're Mormon like me. <laughs> so there's all these crazy, all these crazy like epiphanies that involve you. It's just blowing my mind. So anyway, so I really thought it would be fascinating to talk to you. And um, it, you were when we were corresponding before this, though. I don't normally go back into the very beginning to origin stories because I feel like that's kind of that information is out there. But yours is really interesting because. Your family came up in the business. Your dad works for Capitol Records. Start from the beginning here. How did your family get into this? Well, you know, my my dad actually, uh, my my mom and my dad and my uncle Bob Ingeman had a had a singing group in the fifties at Brigham Young University it's called the Ingeman Trio. <laughs> <laughs> With these hands, I will cling to you. I'm yours forever and a day. With these hands, I will bring to you a tender love as warm as May. I will sing to you Long after stars have lost their glow They moved to Los Angeles after they graduated. They were going to be doing a tour with a, a, a guy named Bert Convy, 
Sure. You have to be old enough I to remember Mark that name. Convy. Are you kidding? Yeah. yeah. Password yeah. and uh, all the games. <laughs> yeah. So they were going to go out on tour with him. They got to L.A. Uh, you know, my father was looking for, you know, a job, but he, you know, loved music. And uh, there was a guy named Jim Conkling. Now, J- Jim Conkling was the president of Columbia, originally Columbia Music, and then he, then he became the president of Warner Brothers Records. So this must have been about, gosh, like 1958. And the, the whole concept with Warner Brothers was they were going to take their television stars and they were going to turn them into, you know, recording artists. Okay. So my dad went in and met with Jim. He was a family friend. He was married to one of the King sisters. I don't know. Mm. I mean, that, once again, you've got to be old enough to know who that those people are. That doesn't ring a bell, but okay. <laughs> well, the, 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 King, the King family had a television show. But the King sisters were a four-woman, amazing harmony group that were extremely, you know, well-known from, I'm talking like, you know, the, the late 30s uh-huh. all the way into the 70s and more, you know, um, yeah. did Vegas and had, had hit records. Yesterday All my troubles seem so far away Now it looks as though they're here So Jim met with my dad. Jim was also, you know, LDS, obviously the, the King's mm-hmm. the whole King family was LDS. Okay. So he said that he hired my dad as a producer at Capitol. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, at uh, Warner Brothers. Okay. And my my father produced Warner Brother Warner Brothers Records' very first number one hit record, which was called "Kooky Kooky Lend Me Your Comb." I got my brains lighted and my flesh. 
flats are gonna pay You're gonna send me to that planet called You know it, baby The artist was a guy named Kooky Ed Burns, who was the star of 77 Sunset Strip, which was a okay. popular TV show at the time. The poor guy was just absolutely tone deaf. Could oh, not, no. I mean, they, they, were having, they were having to pick songs where it would be like, like Ed Burns would go, A, and the choir would go, you're adorable, B. <laughs> You're so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And, and, when he, and when he had to sing, God bless him, you know, to keep him on tune, my father would have to sing into his ear while he sang into the But anyway, they got through it. And then, then he produced some uh, other hit records with Connie Stevens from Hawaiian oh, cool. Eye and a, yeah. a gal named Joni Summers. And we had a career there at Warner Brothers. And then he, he was hired at, at Capitol Records, you know, in the mm -hmm. early 60s. And at Capitol, he was the, hired there as the director of Artists and Repertoire. He quickly moved up to, to, to vice president. But wow. my father was, was instrumental in signing, you know, the Beach Boys. I mean, uh, the BBC just did a uh, documentary where they, you know, they interviewed him. Was, uh, really? Uh, Oh yeah, uh -huh. did he yeah. like literally discover the Beach Boys, or was it one of those where yeah, there was buzz? Yeah, he 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 and he and Stan Gordikoff. I think it was Stan Gordikoff. No, I'm, I'm no, I don't know if it, I'm I'm maybe I'm pulling a name out of my brain that isn't there. Okay. Okay. Trying to think of his boss there. Anyway, there's a picture of him that I just recently posted on Facebook. You can go check it out there. I will. Of him, him and uh, uh, Maury Wilson who was, uh, as well as his boss, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, signing the contract, the very first contract for the, for, for, for the Beach Boys. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, so, I mean, he was there. He was their personal A&R man, intimately involved in, you know, guiding their career and the production of, you know, big records like, uh, yeah. you know, Good Vibrations and so many others, you know. I mean, and, and the guy, you know, I, I just had a life where, these people were always in my house, you know, Linda Ronstadt, the Beach Boys, Bob Seger, Steve Miller, Grand Funk yeah. Railroad, Billy Preston. Uh, just, I mean, just so, on and on and on and on where, you know, you're just a kid and this is just your life. You, yeah. you, you don't understand you're living in the middle of history. <laughs> you know? right. I mean, my, 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 my very first concert that I ever attended was the Beatles concert at the Hollywood Bowl. No. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And my father used to drag me around, you know, like, you know, speaking of being LDS, you know, he had a, you know, he lived his life a certain way. And, you know, you're in the music business and there's certain, you know, I mean, it's, it's a little bit challenging sometimes. So when he would go to like the Troubadour or the Whiskey or whatever, I mean, he would drag yeah. me along. <laughs> really? I was kind of like a shield. I'm like a little like yeah. seven-year-old. Shield so he doesn't get hit on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's smart, actually. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I saw, I saw a lot of acts when I was a young kid. I, I remember, actually, you remember the band? Uh, you yeah. know, like, um, well, so, so, of course, they, yeah. right, right, yeah. And so they were on Capitol. Uh -huh. I remember going with my father to, I think they were doing a concert at the Greek in Los Angeles and the Greek theater. And uh -huh. before the concert, you know, he had to go up to their suite and, you know, visit with them. So he took me and it was just like, I mean, you, 
if you can imagine like the quintessential hippie scene, oh, <laughs> it, oh, it was it. It was it. It was. Uh, I think it was the Hyatt Regency on Sunset. I'm trying to remember the hotel, exactly. but so we went up to his room. I uh, probably <laughs> the riot house because of that. Yeah, I think yeah. I could be wrong. Well, you know, they just had. I mean, there was all these people running around, all these topless girls, and my father's yeah. like constantly putting his hand over my over my eyes, and you know, Robbie Robertson's in his dark room with his guru. You know, oh, before oh, <laughs> it was it was a scene. So those are you know some of my some of my childhood uh, childhood memories. Wow. I just grew up in that. Yeah. At the same time, see, my uncle, the one that was in the Angerman Trio mm-hmm. with my two parents, he wound up founding with Jim Pike and Tony Butala a recording group called The Letterman. And I, you also sure. may be too young yeah. to remember them. I know the name, I but, uh, yeah. But they were they were huge. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of yeah. record sales in the '60s and '70s, and you know they they still tour. It's just one of the original yeah. guys. My my uncle has since passed away. Yeah. Funny. I'll tell you a quick quick story that kind of marries the, the Letterman and the Beach Boys real fast. Is that Brian Wilson was in the hallway, you know, at Capitol. There are two, there's like Studio A and Studio B down there and the, right as you walk in the back, or there used to be. It's been a long time since I've been in the town. Sure. And so the, the, the Beach Boys were recording in one studio and the Letterman were in the other one. And so they, they, were, they kind of met in the hallway and they were talking and they were friendly. And uh, Jimmy Pike from the Letterman says to Brian Wilson, hey, you know, I have an idea. You should write a surfer ballad for us. So Brian says, you know, that's a great idea. And he went home and wrote Surfer Girl. And then he went, wow. this is too good. I'm keeping it. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. So if you listen to the Letterman and you listen to those harmonies, you can see how Brian was thinking about that yeah. when he wrote Surfer Girl. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's very true. Um, Wow, I actually just recently kind of discovered The Letterman. I came across the greatest hits album of theirs, and I really liked it, even though it's, it's you know, older, old-time kind of music. It's not yeah. from today, but you can appreciate the beauty and the, the harmonies of it all. So I could totally see that. That's amazing. So when you, when you look back <laughs> on, at those times, I mean, like you said, you just grew up in it. You didn't realize you were watching history. Can you remember right. any people who were particularly nice or not nice or... I mean, you don't have to get salacious, but like, what are some of the you know memories that pop to mind in terms of 
you know, living well, you know, um, well, you know, I mean, once again, you know, from the standpoint of a child, true, uh, you know, everybody's just, you know, kind of like your friend, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I, I didn't have a. I mean, we used to water ski with the with the Beach Boys, you know, that we'd go out on the lake with them, and you know, they were always. I just always remember them as kind of nice guys, you know. Okay. As as I got older, you know, I mean, my father left Capitol Records. He started a production company of his own and he owned a studio in California right on the corner of Ventura and Colfax. Mm. There's a studio that's still there. It's passed hand several times. Wow. But, um, you know, he, he had a production company with a guy named Bill Lowry out of Atlanta and Bill okay. was a huge music publisher. Yeah. I mean, if you look yeah. him up, it'll mind. Yep. But, uh, yeah, okay. uh, anyway, so that was like a whole other phase and that's yeah. when I met, you know, Billy Preston and, sure. So many other, you know, big artists that kind of came through the studio or. Interesting. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I just had a good experience with most people. I'm trying to think okay. of, is there anybody? Well, what I'll tell you. Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah, you tell me. Okay, oh, yeah. well, Mike Love. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Mike Love, uh, all of those guys, you know. Because were he's known were as kind of a kind famous of nice jerk now. You know what I mean? Everyone. Well, and so yeah. And having to, like, defend himself. I don't know one way or the other, but I wondered if you saw shades of that, even that you might remember as a kid. You know, not really. And, okay. and I've heard that about Mike, too, but my experience with Mike has, has always been kind of cordial. Good. Okay. You, know, um, uh, you know, ironically, the Beach Boys were doing a big special because they had just had the Kokomo hit, you know, when Animotion uh, had a, uh, when we had Room to Move. We were on there, it's called the Beach Boys Summer something or other, but it was just so full circled for me. It was yeah. so no, kind of crazy, you know, to be with those guys, you know, now, yeah. you know, now I'm a recording artist. It was, crazy. was interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I cut you off though. You were about to tell me something. What did something come to mind? Oh well, I well you know I mean another memory. A big big songwriter. His name is Joe South. I don't know if you're sure. know who yeah. Joe is, but uh -huh. you know uh, he wrote Hush. You know he mm -hmm. wrote uh, I Never Promised You a Rose Garden. The games mm -hmm. people play. Oh, what was Tammy? Well, there's so many different hits that he wrote. Yeah. Big huge hits. And Joe was such a talented man. Also kind of a tortured guy, you know, I mean, he had some drug issues. I just, one, one, one memory I have, I, Joe, forget, he's passed on now, so, you know, <laughs> but uh, he was a lovely, lovely guy, um, but uh, I remember my dad, 
I was at the studio and my dad said, hey, Paul, come with me. I got I to gotta go over to the sportsman's lodge. I said, what's going on? He says, well, I, Joe didn't show up for the recording session and we're a little worried. So we go, we show up, we go to Joe's room and, you know, he answers the door in his underwear and, and behind him, behind him on the wall of, of his room at the sportsman's lodge, it looks like an, a, like a really huge, like graphic ad for the sportsman's lodge. I mean, it's, it's perfectly executed with the logo and the whole thing. Uh-huh. It seems like out of place. And then I realized Joe got stoned and was like busy all night oh, no. doing a mural, doing a mural on, on his wall. And it said oh, like, no. had the big sportsman's lodge logo. I think they've torn the sportsman's lodge down now. That was a very oh, famous man. hotel in, in, in Studio City. But, but, um, it said the sportsman's lodge. And then it said like dot, not just the home away from home dot. A real head trip. <laughs> it was all done in red paint. Oh no! Yeah, just yeah, so kind he, of fun. Yeah. He's just off on some trip somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> painting it all over his wall. Oh god! Bless his heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, so but now, you know, you know, I go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to say, you know, the thing that sort of put me on the path of being a recording artist was. Of course, my family background. Sure. But I grew up in I grew up in a studio. My my mother mm. was a was a, a a background singer, and she was like a first call contractor for for that. You know, so like if people needed a background group, they would call my mother. She'd put the group together and show up at the studio. And she worked with everybody from Barbara Streisand to Frank Sinatra to Bob Dylan to the Righteous That's Brothers. Amazing. I mean, just all the big hits that you can think of yeah. from early 60s to on throughout the 70s, you know, she was She's on. There somewhere. She, That's amazing. Moon River, You've Lost That Love and Feeling, wow. the theme song to Batman. <laughs> <laughs> just, just all of it. So when we were little kids, when they needed children, a children's uh-huh. chorus or whatever, then she would contract it, and of course we, we were on every session. No so it, it was, you know, I worked with some amazing people as just like a child. Yeah. You know, Richard Richard Harris, who did you know MacArthur oh, yeah. Park, MacArthur, MacArthur's Park. Park. Well, the follow up to that was a was an album that was called "And the Yard Went On Forever," and um, I'm on that album. You know, my so my so my yeah so 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 is my sister. Yeah. No way. Hear them singing All the women of Pompeii Standing with the Kansas City housewives In doorways In volcanoes and tornadoes On doomsday
so many people, Neil Diamond, on and on and on. But that's kind of what gave me, you know, the introduction to yeah. how you work in a studio, how it all, you know, working with an engineer, sound, etc. Okay. And then when I was a, uh, a, a, a in junior high, that's when I really decided, okay, this is what I want to do. Okay. And my father owned a studio. He was against it. You know, he was kind of really? like saying, ah, no, you know, I'm you don't want, no, don't do that. So my uncle, the one that was from the Letterman, who co-owned the studio with my dad, snuck me in to the studio. And I don't know if you remember, there was a, there was a cartoon series called Josie and the Pussycats. Sure, of course. Well, he and a guy named Danny, Danny Jensen, Danny Jensen. I'm I'm blanking on his name, but okay. uh, Dan, Danny uh, did all the music for that. He also did a lot for the Partridge Family. And uh -huh. the, uh, but they they put me on a track from Josie and the Pussycats. They had a track that had never gotten on the show, and they, it was kind of in my key. So uh -huh. he put me on it, and then uh, he played it for my dad and said. I got a new artist and I'm just kind of wondering, I did a demo with him, you know, I'm just wondering kind of what you think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. My dad, my dad said, well, that's pretty good. You know, who is that? Well, it's your son, actually. There, there you go. Wow. That is unbelievable. So when you, yeah. I mean, as far as I can tell, it looks like your career starts to take off in around 1983 with the help of mm -hmm. Giorgio Moroder. And how old yeah. are you when things start taking off? And how does Giorgio find you and take a liking to you specifically? Well, l let me back up and I'll tell you kind of what happened. Oh, I went okay. on a mission for the, for, for the LDS church. You I, I wondered about that. Yeah. You went on a mission uh -huh. too? Where'd you go? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Peru. Uh-huh. Okay. From 1977 to 79. Oh, wow. My, sis my sister and I used to record together and we had a, couple of chart records as a, my 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 phony made up name at MGM Records with Mike Curb was uh -huh. Christopher Paul. Oh. And so I had a I, I had a, a record that got into like the top 12 of the um adult contemporary charts. Huh. It was a remake uh, it was a remake of of Venus. Remember the Frankie Avalon? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. Well, I was managed at the time by Bob Marcucci who you know, there's a movie about him that came out in like 1980 or so called The Idol Maker. It's all yeah. about how he With Ray Sharp, how he I created that movie. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's about Bob, okay. and Bob was my manager. Whoa. And uh, okay. yeah, so so I was on MGM, and Mike Curb was working with me on my career. Wow. We had a couple. Sean and I had a couple of records. As a matter of fact, Mike produced us. On I'm leaving it all up to you, which was a you know Donnie. We recorded yeah. that first. Don Costa, Don Costa did the track, Frank okay. Sinatra's arranger, and then we went in and recorded it. And then all of a sudden, I'm hearing it on the radio, and it's Donnie and Marie, and yeah. Mike is calling to apologize and saying, no. "Oh, gee, I've got this other track. I'm so sorry." You know, it's 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 a song called "For Your Love."
so Sean and I recorded that. It charted, but it didn't, you know, no go way. big. We wound up leaving MGM and got a deal with Polygram. Okay. And that was right before I decided to go on a mission. And so the guy, the guy that was the head of Polygram, a guy named Erwin Steinberg, told me, go ahead, go on contract. I'll be waiting for you when you come back. Well, a month before I got back, he was canned. Oh, and no my fa- and my family had moved to Provo, Utah in 1978 because oh. my father started managing the Osmonds in 1975. Oh. So I'm like, I come home to Provo, Utah in 1970, flipping nine, and it's <laughs> like I'm calling my friends and going, help, help me, there are yeah. sheep next door. Yes. Rescue me, you know. Yes, yes. So oh, man. I didn't, I didn't, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Your Sean, is... Larry King's wife, correct? Yes. Uh huh. She was many things before that. Yeah, I know. I know. But I know yeah. what I was going to be most top of mind in normal life. Or, in yeah. Okay. They've been married since ni- 1997, but uh, and they have two two boys that are grown now. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, so okay, I just wanted to establish who we were talking about here. <laughs> no problem. I keep yammering on. I'm kind of giving the, the the timeline here, but but yeah. So when I came back, I was kind of going stir crazy, and I didn't know what to do. Didn't kind of know how to get back into the mix. My father's in Provo, yeah. so I joined this little this little band, a local band, just to keep my chops going. And we were appearing in just the most divey, hideous bars around her that you could possibly think of. And a guy named Glenn Larson. Glenn, Glenn is also, was also LDS. He, he okay. was with the, for preps and he wrote a lot of their hits and that, that might be before your day too. But you know, know that them. song, uh, 24 miles across the sea, Santa Catalina is waiting for me. Da-dum, ba-dum, oh, ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, well, he, he wrote that and several other hits, but then he became a huge television producer. Oh. Uh, he created Magnum P.I. He created The Fall Guy. He created yeah. uh, Knight, Knight Rider, Battlestar Galactica. Whoa. And so uh, he, he had a home up in Utah near my parents and saw our band and then invited us to, to come down to Los Angeles. And we were trying to kind of get more into like, a, you know, write our own things and do some recording. And he said, well, listen, come down. You can stay in my, in my home in Malibu. Okay. And I want you to do the uh, the source music for for my shows, and uh-huh. so what that is 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 you know we'd go in and it's much less expensive. This was a big trend in the '80s, you know. If uh, like Willie Nelson was on the radio mm-hmm. of a car that's driving down the road, it's not really Willie Nelson. Mm-hmm. It's me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Imitating Willie Nelson, okay. or you know some of the other artists. So we did that for a few years. That put me back in Los Angeles. Okay. At the same time, my sister, Sean, while I was on my mission, that's when Sean hooked up with Giorgio Moroder. Oh. And Giorgio did a whole album with Sean. Really? Yeah, that was never released because Clyde Davis said, oh, she's a nice Mormon girl. She can't do disco. That'll be, you know. So it just kind of screwed the whole thing. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, they became very, very friendly, and they actually dated for a while. Your sister dated so, Giorgio? 
My sister dated everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you said it, I didn't. Okay, wonderful. Okay, got it. Yeah. She, well, well she, Sean had her own television show. Uh, it was called Hollywood Insider. Uh, and that was on the USA Network for, gosh, oh, wow. like 12 years. So wow. she was, it was kind of like a uh, an entertainment tonight, you know. Mm-hmm. So she just kind of, you know, she met everybody, you know. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, she was, she and Giorgio were, you know, together for several years as, you know, oh, kind man. of a, you know, just dating anyway. Yeah. And um, that's when she said, well, gosh, you know, Giorgio, you need to meet my brother. And so I moved down to Los Angeles, and she and I lived together there in the Hollywood Hills. And then I would go in and, you know, uh, I, I did demos for Giorgio. So he would write a song, yeah. and I would come in and record it so that he could have a demo of it. So, you know, like Highway to the Danger Zone, I sang mm-hmm. that first. Kenny Loggins learned that song from me. <laughs> I about that. You know? Because the Push yeah. to the Limit song... Scarface sounds a lot like Clearly could do that, and he used Kenny. And it, yeah, I had a feeling you were in there somewhere. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, and Never Ending Story was another one. They actually yeah. wanted me to 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 record that. I mean, Giorgio really liked my version of it, but the, uh, the 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 movie producer, you know, wanted more of a name at the time. You know, the huge huge name Lamal. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So. What wound up happening is Giorgio had me come in and do a demo for the Scarface, um, mm-hmm. that, uh, this, uh, the, for uh, Push It to the Limit. Uh-huh. And he just he was so tired of having a really good track with me on it, and then having a having the you know the other the producer say, yeah. hey, you know, no, we want to have a name do it. So what he did is he took it to Brian De Palma and said, uh, now the guy the guy that was at uh, Universal. I'm trying to think of the, the president of Universal Music at the time. Mm. Um, he wanted uh, he wanted a group that was a group that he had signed the Asbury Jukes, Southside Johnny and the oh, Asbury Southside Jukes. Southside Johnny, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. He wanted okay. Southside Johnny to do it, oh. and so Southside Johnny did it, and Giorgio took Southside Johnny's version in and my version in. Played it for Brian De Palma and said, "Which one do you like better?" Mm. And he chose my version. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's how. 
that's how that happened. And, and then, you know, I also, at the same time, Giorgio was asked to do some of the music for the 84 Olympics in Los Angeles. And so he had me come in and he had me write lyrics to this song that he wrote. It was called Reach Out for the Metal. You know, I recorded it, and uh, it was put on the official Olympic album. Yeah. And what happened is the team from Germany, like the German uh, uh, television shows, they chose that song to play every time they would give the German team's updates. Oh, well, people wow. in Germany started requesting it on the radio, and it oh. came on the German charts at 54 and jumped to number four in one week and then jumped to number one. And stayed there for five straight weeks in Germany. So I had this, and Germany was, you know, the number two record market in the world. Was it? Um, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. So I was over there at the same time David Hasselhoff was. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and, and, and that's pretty funny because my sister, both my sister and my wife, guest starred on Night Rider uh, with David, and and uh, they both were on on this this like two part episodes called Goliath where oh, wow. David played his own evil twin. It's just so funny how all these kind of connections and yeah. twists and turns. But, oh, man. but I, you know, I just did a lot of writing and stuff with Giorgio okay. and recording, and, and uh, that's kind of how the whole Giorgio thing happened. Now, there's another song out there, American Dream. Gotta be the best that you can be So you leave it behind Believing in your dream Hold to what you've been told Gotta grab a hold Cause the streets are paved with gold You work so hard just to break the ice Gotta make the dream come true 
Was that part of the Olympic thing too? Uh, that was the follow-up. So I went over to Germany and did a did touring, and then I did uh, you know some a lot of TV shows over there and stuff. And okay. so Giorgio, we, uh, yeah, he we, that was the follow-up. And Shannon's okay. Eyes was another fo- another follow-up to okay. the the original sort of okay. uh, you know to the Olympic thing. And you also so did that was face to face. Go ahead, yeah, on the solitary men mm-hmm. album. I see your eyes, electric windows wearing no disguise, no excuses and no alibis, sometimes I just want to make you mine, I feel your heart, whether we're together or apart, beating time together from probably don't know this. I had I talked to Joe Esposito. He was on this podcast about a year ago. And oh, Joe's a friend. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. the best. And that whole album, I have that album. But this, you know, I'm I'm talking to you. I'm realizing why I hadn't put any, everything together before. It's because I have digital copies of all this stuff, not hard copies. Oh, okay. You know uh-huh. what I mean? So I don't. I'm not looking at liner notes and names necessarily. I'm just enjoying the songs on my iTunes. But mm-hmm. that face to face album is so good. But or the Solitary Man album, but you just sing that one song face to face, right? Yeah. Well, you know what happened there? What? A guy named Tom Whitlock. Now, Tom Tom did a lot of writing with Giorgio. Tom co-wrote "Take My Breath Away" mm-hmm. uh, with with Giorgio and several other big hits. Tom was kind of like he was almost a gopher at Giorgio's studio, Oasis, oh, there on Lancashire Boulevard in 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 in, in Studio City. And he sort of worked his way up the ranks. Well, Giorgio had me and Tom working together, uh, and, and just producing music. And I would come in and we were, we were kind of doing a whole album's worth of, of songs. And, and Face to Face was one of them. Okay. So when I moved on to Device, Giorgio really liked that cut, Face to Face. So, that's that's kind of how that wound up on that solitary. That was kind of a floating uh, thing okay. that you know that was just in his catalog. Okay, it's I wondered that's why how that happened there when everything else. Yeah, mostly him and Joe. You know, Giorgio, he mm-hmm. boy, he he has an ear for a very specific kind of male voice, a sort of very masculine but also very emotive. There's some grit, mm-hmm. but but they're very beautiful, gritty voices like you and Joe's. It's, uh, well, thank you. <laughs> oh, it's true. Well, I mean, you can sing, and Joe has one of the greatest voices of all time, and you sound a lot like him. So, I mean, and this is Giorgio <laughs> plucking these, these having an ear for these great voices out there. It's really amazing, I think. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, Giorgio, Giorgio uh, I have such admiration for Giorgio, and I've known him for so many years. 
and his wife, Francisca. I mean, we're all still very good friends. You know, we've stayed in touch. I went to his 70th cool. birthday a few years ago. And, you know, he's a huge DJ now in the world. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. it's like it's like crazy, this wonderful resurgence that he's had. But Giorgio, yeah. this may sound very bombastic and kind of strange, but I, I consider Giorgio Moroder, and if you listen to his music, you might agree with me. You know, the, uh-huh. I, I consider him a, melod- a melodic genius. And I think had he been born in the born in the time of Mozart, he would have been in in a class of yep. Mozart. Yep. Yep. Um, he's just m- melodically, he's a genius. I mean, listen to frickin', you know Midnight Express or Cat yeah. People or, I mean, that's yeah. one of my that that record, you know. See these eyes so green. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> just, oh my gosh, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, such great stuff. And I'll, I'll tell you a, a cute story about Giorgio. Sure. It just shows you how we all have our idols. I was at a dinner in Beverly Hills. It was for the Larry King Cardiac Foundation, which my sister and Larry founded. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I was sitting with Giorgio, and I was sitting with Marilyn McCoo from, oh, gosh, yeah. what was the name of that group? Um, uh, the Fifth Dimension. The, the, the Fifth Dimension, yeah, and her husband, Billy. Billy uh, and And uh, so we, yeah, yeah uh-huh. Yeah. And I think well, we we may have been sitting with Keith Forsey, too. Oh, he's a genius too. Um, yeah, and Keith, you know, Keith, Keith was a, a very integral part of of Giorgio's studio, also, because mm. Giorgio did a lot of work on the Breakfast Club, you know. And uh, did he really? So, uh huh, yeah. Because I know mm-hmm. Keith that was, was all done at the Breakfast Club. And Keith, yeah, mm-hmm. don't you forget about me. And um, but I don't yeah. think Giorgio had anything to do with that stuff too. Yeah, it was all done at Giorgio's studio there at Oasis oh. on Lancashire. So so I was in there when all of that was happening, and we were. I mean, it was all right around the same time. But oh, it was fun God. to sit with them at this dinner, and and so you know we had a nice time visiting. I'm there with my wife and with Giorgio and his, and and then uh, near the end of the dinner, Paul Anka came up and was talking was talking to Giorgio and telling him, you know, how much he admired him and enjoyed his music. And then Paul walked away and I turned and I see that Giorgio has big tears in his eyes. And I said, Giorgio, what's going on? You know? Mm-hmm. And he just said he said, Well, I mean, Paul Anka, I used to listen to him when I was a young boy in Italy and he's one of the reasons why I got into the music business. So it was a just it was a very beautiful wow. For so full circle yeah. moment to to see, you know, incredible to see someone like Giorgio yeah. still touched by one of his heroes. You know what I mean? Giorgio's Giorgio is a lovely, lovely person. He is a good. wonderful human being. Yeah, good. he's a very good man. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So then, so the Giorgio partnership is very fruitful for you, and then Device yeah. comes along. When how does Device yeah. how does this Device thing happen? And I. I've always been really curious about Device because I know Holly Knight is like a Hall of Fame songwriter. And at that point, she had done Scandal, The Warrior. She'd had Love is a Battlefield. She'd had Better Be Good mm-hmm. to Me as well as she'd go on to have millions more. But she wasn't the singer. You were. So how did Device get formulated? Well, oh, gosh. Now, you know, I'm going to have a senior moment, and I am going to blank on the name of this guy, and I'm going to feel really, really bad, but maybe it will come to me. Yeah, I had a friend who was an A&R guy at Chrysalis Records. So I had just gotten engaged to my wife. It was uh, 1985, 
Okay. I had been doing a lot of demos again, you know, um, trying to get another deal, you know. Mm. Anyway, we'll we were out. just out. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we were out with my with my wife and this and this gentleman, and we were actually sitting in the parking lot of Thrifties on Ventura. <laughs> and I was I was playing him I was playing him a whole bunch of my demos, uh-huh. and he goes, "Oh, that's oh, I like that or whatever." And he's giving me suggestions, and he said, "Wait a minute." I just had a brainstorm. He says, we have a group that we're developing. It's called Device. It's a gal named Holly Knight. And, you know, she's a genius songwriter. And he told me all the different songs that she'd written. Uh-huh. And he said, and, you know, we have, we have literally auditioned 400 singers. No way. And, and there's nobody that she just doesn't, there's nobody that she likes, you know. Uh-huh. So he says, give me some of those demos. So uh, he took them and he played them for Holly Knight and Mike Chapman. You know, Mike produces mm-hmm. all of Blondie's. Mike is a flipping yeah. genius producer. Yeah. Yep. And so then I got a call saying, hey, yeah, you know, we, Holly wants to meet you. I, I drove out to uh, um, the beach. She was living in, like, by the beach somewhere. I'm trying to think of where. But anyway... Went to her apartment. She played me, you know, some different things. And I, was, I was pretty jazzed by the whole thing. Uh-huh. I went into the studio and put my voice on a couple of things. And then they said, hey, okay, you're in the band. You no know? way. And, and that's kind of how, how Device was born. The whole concept of Device was that, you know, Holly had written so many hits. At one point, yeah. I think she had about three or four records in the top ten. I believe it. You know, I mean, uh, the only other person who I know of who, who does that is like Diane Warren. You know, right? right. <laughs> but yeah. Cut from but very thin cloth. Yeah, yeah. So the concept with Holly was just so tired of writing hits for everybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, she thought, "Gee, I want to have a band. I want to, sure. you know, be sort of a front person too, and have." Mm-hmm. You know, she was very good friends with the gals from Heart, Anne and and um, Nancy. Nancy. Yeah. You know. Uh, I, I spent more time with Nancy uh, than Anne. You know, really? Nancy was more of more of a friend with you know okay. to Holly than. But anyway, so they, she had just written never, you know, yeah. for them, and, yeah. and uh, so Goodness. you know, we went in, and she had this amazing material. It was a, such a wonderful experience to sing that great stuff. And Mike Chapman just got some of the best performances out of, of my life out of mm-hmm. me on on that device album. Yeah. And it was a very, it was a really cool, creative time. And, you know, we started doing a little touring and promoting and stuff. Holly, bless her heart, she's a genius. She's kind of a difficult person. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, I just think it, it's, it sort of bugged her that once again, mm-hmm. somebody else was singing the songs yeah. and getting more attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, after Device, yeah. she wound up wanting to do a solo album. Yeah. And that's when I moved on to Animotion. And, okay. of course, there was a connection there because Animotion had just kind of sidelined. Well, actually, it's, I feel kind of bad how it all happened. Um, they had a management team. I'm blanking on the guy's name because I probably blocked it because he was a very unpleasant individual. But oh, no. he, also managed, he, also, he also managed Richard Marks. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, he, and, he, and he managed Howard Jones okay. at the time several other bands but so so richard's girlfriend cynthia rhodes was cynthia rhodes yeah. at the time 
I guess this manager, I mean, he must have had a lot of power because he got the rest of the band of Animotion to kind of sideline Astrid Plain and Bill Wadhams, who were their yeah. original singers, and uh, he wanted to replace them. So they kind of got fired from their own band. Right. Right. I didn't know any. I didn't know any of this. I just knew, so the guys called me and said, "Hey, you know, we just let our singers go, and we really love your work on the on the Device album. Would you be our singer? You know." So I went. I went and met with the guys, and um, we decided we were going to do something together. And I met Cynthia, and yeah. we just kind of started working together. It was a little frustrating because. Cynthia was also, you know, an actress, and she was doing sure. movies, you yeah. know. So, mm -hmm. so we wanted to get the album going and get yeah. records out because that's what we did for a living. <laughs> right, right. But Cynthia, Cynthia wound up getting cast in a movie that shot in South Africa, oh. and so we had to wait for a few months to get going. And oh, wow. I'll tell you, every time I hear "Right Here Waiting for You" that, that uh -huh. Richard wrote, uh -huh. I want to throw something. I want to throw something at the wall. Because it brings back that frustration because he wrote that for Cynthia while she was gone doing the movie. No way. And I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs going, can I have a permission to earn a living now? Right. You know? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Now, did, you, when, did, Anna, did that version of Animotion put out a whole album or was it just Room to Move? On oh, no, the, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, it was, a, was it just... Soundtrack? No, we had uh, several records out from that album, you, but oh, you know, it's true. one of those. That's yeah, mm -hmm, yeah. I don't even know what the uh -huh. album cover looks like or anything. It's just, it's just an album cover that has all of us on it. It's called Animotion. Okay. It was on Polygram. You know, we had a number seven record with Room to Move, but this is one of those crappy music business, like the business mm -hmm. side of things stories where, mm -hmm. you know, you just get kind of like really screwed. Polygram was in the process of being purchased uh -huh. by another record label. And so what they did, just they kind of with a red pencil went in and kind of just ash canned any group Mm -hmm. that wasn't recouped yet. Yeah. They got them off their books so that the deal would look better to the purchaser, you know? Okay. So here we had just had a number seven record, but we weren't recouped as far as the cost of the album yet. And yeah. we were just let go from, let go from the label. 
So at that point, I started writing some other things and, you know, moving on to kind of like a solo career. Okay. And uh, I want there's a guy named Artie Mogul. Oh, yeah. Who? Oh, go back. Sure. No, go. Well, I want to. Okay. Yeah. I, first of all, tell me what in the world 22B3 means. Because that's the name well, of the Well, that's a good question because that's a good question because I don't even know. Mike Chapman and Holly came up with that when I think they were both a, a, a little lit. <laughs> okay, okay. And, and Mike, Mike was very cryptic about it. And, would, and he's like, no, you'll figure it out. You'll figure, well, I never did. <laughs> so, you know, okay. I thought, well, is it, does it have something to do with a B3 yeah. organ? Or, you know, were there 22 of them? Or I've never known what that means. You know? it, it could have been, or it might have been Holly's apartment. Who the heck knows? No, but okay. I think they thought it sounded cool because, you yeah. know, device sounds kind of, mm. you know, tacky, and 22B3 yeah. sounds kind of tacky, and okay. who knows? Yeah. <laughs> you know, wow. Mike Chapman, I have nothing but admiration for him. He's just an absolute, uh, absolute genius when it comes good. to, you know, production. Well, he He's worked um, on a ton of yeah. good music. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. I was watching a clip of you guys performing Hanging on a Heart Attack on um, American Bandstand. And oh, boy. You've got, you've got your Dog the Bounty Hunter hairdo that was your... My mullet, yes. Which is very au courant in 1985. Nothing wrong there. Look at, talk about Richard Marks. You know, he's got his... There you go. ...going for... Miles and miles. So, uh, uh -huh. were, was device was device a? Did you ever go out and play live? Did you play concerts? Did you? Sure, you mm -hmm. did. Okay, mm -hmm. so who, yeah. Who, who mm -hmm. were you touring with? Well, we did festivals and we did like we opened for uh, Journey, oh, uh, you know, and some other bands. It's really funny because later on in my life, I became friends with Ross. He actually was in a network marketing business. He was in my downline, <laughs> the bass wow. player from from Journey. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Huh. So you okay? So you did you? It was a touring because you know back then you could make more money selling records. You didn't have to tour like you do now. Exactly, so but more of like well, a studio. Uh, no, we actually did tours. Okay. You know, we, okay. we, we went out and we did, you know, whatever we could, radios, things. Uh, mm -hmm. The company really, I, I think it was even, you know, like Holly started thinking about, gee, do I want to do this or do I want to have a solo career? You know, and Holly sort of held all the cards because she wrote most of the yeah. music. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, I think if the record company had, you know, put us out on the road and, and allowed us to develop and build a following, yeah. Because I have to tell you, there is, it's really weird. There is so much passion from people that, you know, when they find out that I was in device, I mean, some, they're constantly hitting me up on Facebook and saying, oh, my gosh, that is like the album of my really? youth. I mean, I wore it, I wore it out. I wish you no guys what happened, you know. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of passion for people who are device fans and, and, and 80s audiophiles. Yeah. Of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's how I found it. I'm an 80s junkie music, <laughs> and I found it somewhere. Now, Hanging on a yeah. Heart Attack, I think, reached number 35. But that was really the only, uh -huh. I think, Who Says was also released, because 
there's a killer video of you wearing jeans with black leather yeah. caps. <laughs> there you go. Uh-huh. Bounty hunter hair and everything. Who says, who's on the line was another one that they released. Okay. There, there were so many good, I mean, there's not a dog song no. on that album. No, that's what I was going to say. Every single one of them could have album. been a single. Yes. Yeah. So I wondered mm-hmm. if, why, mm-hmm. I mean, if Holly's having all this success, she's clearly earned her bona fides with the success from all, the, all these other people. I wonder why Device yeah. didn't do more. She couldn't stick it out. Holly, okay, Holly couldn't stick it out. And she's kind of a, I mean, I, listen, you know, she may get mad at me for saying this, but she was a very difficult person and she had some personal problems at the time. I don't want, you know, whatever. I was at okay. dinner, this is going to sound like I'm dropping names. I was, I was at dinner with, with Rod Stewart and, and with uh, Mike uh, Chapman and, uh-huh. and Holly. They were at, at La Dome and Holly kept disappearing to the bathroom, you know, uh-huh. and Rod and, uh, Mike right. Chapman sort of gave them gave each other no knowing a knowing glance, sure. and it's that's when it that's when it kind of hit me, and I went, oh, okay, this is all making sense now, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, I know she's she's a, she's a mom now. She's moved on. She's you know she Holly. I have nothing but admiration for her talent. Right. It's just she was a very sort of lost soul at the okay. time we did that okay. album. Okay. Yeah, I can imagine. Okay. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. wondering what the story behind that was. Okay, and then somewhere in there, you have uh, brain power on the summer school soundtrack. Know that I'm mildly obsessed with 80s movie soundtracks, 
And so <laughs> I love that soundtrack. And you're on it. Uh, now, one of the things we cover in this podcast very sensitively is the money side or the business side of people's careers. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming, I mean, unfortunately, Giorgio didn't put you on Flashdance or Top Gun where you would have become a millionaire, but you were on Starface <laughs> and Summer School, and these movies still get shown pretty regularly. I imagine you still receive a royalty check for that, yes? Oh, sure, sure, every once in a blue moon, sure, okay. and, you know, I mean, I, 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 I'm, you know, I was a lucky person that made a living in the music business for many years, yeah. you know, most people say you're a musician, they say, well, no, but what do you really do? Well, yeah. no, I, I really did, and I really had hit records, <laughs> and I really yeah. toured, and, I, you know, that was my life. I wound up, uh, after I left um, Animotion, I did a, a whole bunch more demos with a guy named Jerry Williams, who is a really talented writer and arranger. So we had a whole bunch of material that, you know, I got I got a deal with RCA, and then they sort of changed their mind. And then a guy named Artie Mogul. Artie was uh, the the president of United Artists mm. for for many years. Mm. He was he worked with my father at Capitol, okay. and he had a, a, an, a he had a label. He discovered Hootie and the Blowfish, oh. and so he had a, had started another label, and he signed me to that label. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was at a time there were some things that were really going. It's kind of a sad story. His wife was passing away. And, oh no! Uh, oh, I think Artie. I'm just. I mean, in all candor, I think he kind of lost his mind, uh-huh. and he kept telling me I had a, I had a deal and I was going to get this particular upfront advance, etc. Mm-hmm. And it was with Capital and blah blah blah. And it just got more and more and more suspicious as time mm-hmm. went by. Mm-hmm. I had my dad call Capital and they said, no, I'm sorry, we've never heard of you. And that's when I realized that Artie, Artie had s- sort of lost his marbles. Yeah. And, okay. you know, it's really sad, a sad yeah. thing. And that's when I finally said, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe, maybe this part's yeah. over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. And okay. because, you know, we had a child. And so my wife and I moved on. We became interior designers who wound up on the front cover of Architectural Digest and really? had a big design you remain business. based in L.A.? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, we were in Utah. Uh, and it kind of grew there. Okay. And then in 2005, I got into network marketing. I met a gal at, at uh, Larry's birthday party, Larry King's birthday party, who was uh-huh. starting a network marketing company. And Utah is kind of the capital of all network sure marketing is. on planet Earth. But I became a top, a top distributor in a company that sold healthy chocolate, and since then I've moved on to another company. But that's, uh, you know, I've been very blessed in that industry also. Okay. uh, So there you go. (laughs) Amazing. There's the story. I I did want to ask you one more question about your solo career because it sounded like it was, you know, according to Artie Mogul, it was going to happen, but it didn't. Did you actually record songs? I mean, are there songs in a vault somewhere that would have made a solo album? Sure. Uh, Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, lots of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure I have them somewhere. <laughs> you might have to send me some of those. Because I love your <laughs> I would love. And like I said, everything you did in the 80s is right up my alley. So I... Uh, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> sure. Sure. Okay. Well, man, what a life. I just think that's so interesting, all of this stuff that you've done and been a part of. That's amazing to me. Well, you know, sometimes I look back on it, you know, it's just your life when you're living it. But sometimes yeah. I look back and I just go, good freaking grief. I mean, I have done some things that are kind of mind-blowing, you yes. know. 
um, you know, I, I think about, you know, Giorgio and I did co-wrote stuff for the 1990 World Soccer Cup. And I remember, you know, being on the same stage with Pavarotti and singing to three oh, no. billion people who are watching the broadcast, you know, for the for the selections wow. for the World Soccer Cup. And, you know, it's just like you go, wait, did I really do that? Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing to me. I yeah. can't believe it. Yeah. I mean, even Dunn, like you mentioned teaching Kenny Loggins how to sing Danger Zone. I mean, were you, did you do that face-to-face? You've been and hung out? No, with- uh-uh. Oh, okay. I'm no, uh-uh, I didn't do that. No, that was just, that was just, uh, you know, I did the demo and Georgia played it for him. Uh-huh. But there was such a, there was such a parade of people through that studio yeah. of Giorgio's so. in the 80s. You know, yeah. I mean, Deborah Harry and Sparks was another group that was kind of an 80s group that was yeah. in and out of there that Giorgio worked with. And, yeah. You know, um, uh, Simple Minds and, and um, so, so many others. Oh, but man. but I remember, <laughs> this is, you know, Joe Cocker, what a voice, you uh-huh. know. And uh-huh. Joe, Joe was in doing a track with Keith. And uh, I remember walking in there. He was such a personable guy. He had such a drug problem. (laughs) He was doing, oh gosh, he was doing blow with one hand and smoking a joint with the other. I was thinking, you know, do you just want to be, do you just want to feel intensely normal or like, what's the point? Oh man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But what a child. And you know what's kind of ironic? And once again, a little bit full circle is Gene Black, who was the guitarist for Device, uh-huh. wound up to and what a, I mean, what an amazing guitarist Gene mm-hmm. is, just mm-hmm. like so great. But yeah. he wound up touring with with Joe Cocker for many years until Gee, Joe finally really? passed away just just recently. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh wow! I finally saw Joe. I yeah. always wanted to see Joe. I finally saw him. Probably about three or four years ago, here in Colorado, he opened for the Moody Blues at Red Rocks. And, uh, oh, wow. I to, yeah. yeah, I've always wanted to see both of those. And so it was really great to be able to cross them both off my list, finally. And then, of course, Joe passes away like a year or two later. So, mm-hmm. um, interesting. Okay. And, I mean, let's talk, we've, we've touched on it a little bit, but, you know, all along, through all of this, you maintain, I assume, an active Mormon. Yeah? I mean, it's... Yeah, <laughs> well, and, times or crazy times, or you don't have to get into details if you don't want. But you, we know there are so few Mormons in so, show business, other than the Osmonds <laughs> and now Gladys Knight. Right? They're the go-to's. So yeah. I just think well, you, you know, you I, 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 I just had, I had a, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm not a perfect person, but I, sure. but I had a, a, a really good example in both, you know, in my parents who were, you know, in the business and, and maintained their standards, you yeah. know, and, and then my uncle touring with the Letterman. And I just realized, I mean, look, show business is a business. It's, just, it's what you yeah. do. So what defines you is what, what you, what, what's at the center of your soul? What do you believe? What's the yeah. purpose of your life? And, and what's your relationship with God? You know, for me, uh-huh. that's what's important. So, I mean, I, I just... It, it was never really sort of a question. You know, if you make the decision about how you're going to live your life and what you believe, then when you're confronted with various situations that challenge that, yeah. you don't have to make that decision every time it arises. Yeah. You've already made it. 
Right. And so right. I, I have some, some very good examples, you know, of that and, 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 you know, tried to live up to it. Yes, and we're still, you know, we're still active members of the church. I'll tell you mm-hmm. something, and this, this would be a really good thing to sort of end with. Yeah. But, you know, my, fa- my father, who's now 86 and still very vital, he manages yeah. Larry now. You know, he was sort of known in the record business for being sort of a stand-up guy. In in a world where, you know, back in the, if you watched, you know, what was that movie about all the ad guys that was on, uh, oh, uh, oh, guy, on television? You're talking about the TV show, Mad Men? Mad Men, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like the time that he was a capital. Yeah. And, you know, everybody smoked, everybody drank. You were a complete streak yeah. if you didn't. And he didn't, you know. Yeah. And, and you know, his language was very clean. And so... You know, Bobby Darren. If you, I'm yeah, sure you probably know who Bobby Darren yeah. is, but yeah. but uh, Bobby Bobby Darren was not just an artist; he was also a producer, and he had some artists on Capitol Records. And he called my dad up. This was when my dad was the director of A&R, so early on, like in the early '60s, and said, "Hey, Carl, you know, I got an artist on on Capitol, and you know, you have him set for a release date on blah blah blah, and I really need you to move it up. We we want you to move it up. It's really important." My dad was looking at it and going, Bobby, I'm, I wish we could. You know, I'm uh-huh. sorry, but like the, the promotion budget's set. We have a, you know, a roster. It's, it's kind of, there's not, there's no slot. There's nothing I can do. Right. My hands are tied. Bobby got all exercised and called my dad's boss and said, you're not going to believe what that Carl Engelman said to me. I mean, he was so rude on the phone and he called me a, you know, and my dad's boss goes, oh, Bobby. You chose the wrong guy to tell that story about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know? oh, so, you know, that's that's what that's I would great. aspire to. I don't yeah. know that I'm quite there yet, but cool. uh, my father is kind of my hero. Good. So. <laughs> Good deal. Oh, man. Well, Paul, thank you for talking to me. I had a feeling you would have great stories, and you did. I'm really thankful that you took the time to talk to me. You're behind a lot of music that I love. And so oh, thank you, John. And connecting dots and figuring out who you are and these connections that we have and everything, really amazing to me. I'm really grateful that you took the time. Thank you for doing that. Well, you're very welcome. And this has been really, really fun. There you have it, Paul Engelman. I thought that was really interesting. I hope you guys did too. You know he's got so many more memories bouncing around in his brain. That is honestly something that I try, I aspire to bring into focus on these conversations are the people who, because you know they've, like, they've been around famous people when those people are not on. They're like walking through a room or they're eating or they're chit-chatting. Though, that kind of detail, that's what I sort of am seeking. And you know Paul has a lot of that in his brain. I'm going to have to take him to dinner sometime or something because I want to hear more of these stories. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. I thought Paul was great. We're going to close it out here, by the way, with another device song. It's called Fall Apart Golden Heart. It's on that same one and only device album, but it's really good. I, I like this song. I like the whole album. I hope you guys can find it or track it down. Next week, next week's guest was the front man of one of the biggest bands of 1991. They had a song come out in that year that is still ever present to this day, but unfortunately, that's basically when their luck ran out. They never recaptured that the, the heights of where they hit in 1991. So I hope you guys will come back and hear that. 
Now for the business. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for putting everything together. My producing partner, thank you, Yan. Please, everybody, go in. We have so many new listeners now. I would love it if some of you would write us a review. Please, go into iTunes, write us a little review. Give us however many stars you feel we deserve. And let us know how we're doing. You can find us on Facebook. You can like our page. And you can stay in contact with us that way. You can find me on Twitter, at The Hustle Pod. And you can send me an email if you want at thehustlepod at gmail.com. I, I always ask people to send me requests if there are people they want to come on the show uh, that they haven't heard from for a while. I am in the process of tracking down a lot of those people right now. In fact, some of these episodes are going to be forthcoming. So anyway, find us, go back into the archives, stick around, connect. We're just trying to find the people who care about music like we do and stay close. So I hope you guys will stay in touch. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>